0: Thank <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Today, we have a special episode. We have Tariq, who will be coming on and sharing his expertise around IAM and how IAM has been used as a potential threat vector for organizations in the cloud. So for those of you who aren't familiar with IAM is, it's identity and account management. Tariq, tell us a little bit
1: about yourself and Let's jump into IAM. Any of the opinions that I expressed here, they are my own opinions, and they're not the opinions of my previous or current employer. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. So just in terms of my background, I've been in the IT space for more than 20 years. I began my career as a software engineer, did a ton of application development. And interestingly, I began my career in identity in the identity fraud space. I've done all kinds of roles, really. I've been a developer, project manager, program manager, architect, c suite, advisor. But the piece that I have the most passion for is application development, software development, and cybersecurity. Specifically, I've been in the identity and access management space for quite some time. I would say more than 10 years now. A good chunk of my career has spent in identity and access management.
0: And why is identity and access management such a pivotal part
1: of being in a cloud or in a SaaS environment? That's such a great question. One of the reasons, there's a few things, there's a melange of things that are that is coming, forces that are coming together. So one of the things that you said, the advent of the cloud, I would add a few other things to the mix mobile development, I would also add the advent of IoT devices, non-human identities. And because of this, we are in this perfect storm. There's really no perimeter. And identity really has become the new perimeter, especially when you're op- operating in a cloud and a SaaS type of world. Really the old school methodology of protecting your environment, wall gardens, moats, and tall walls, that just does not work. In the modern scenario, and identity really has become your new perimeter, and that's why organizations need to pay a lot more attention and put more a lot more investment into their identity trust fabric. So you're saying both identity for people, identity for
0: services, now we add an IoT, compute, mm-hmm. containers
1: they all have their own identity that needs to be managed in the cloud. Absolutely. The number of non-human identities has exploded in the last, I would say, five years or so. And they they continue growing. Our identity management systems, the old school legacy identity management systems were built primarily for humans. And now we are at a point where enterprises need to start thinking about how do you build identity and access management systems primarily for non-humans. So th- I think we are at that pivotal inflection point where we will be making that switch from human-based identity and access management to non-human-centric identity and access management.
0: And when you're talking about some of these non-human things, we're potentially going into the realm of privileged access management and the management of things like keys for encryption and tokenization, keys for service accounts to function and to create connections between themselves, and even decrypting the the image which they're booting up on to create a, a secure operating
1: system. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly the kind of stuff I was referring to in terms of non human identities. Everything that, since everything's automated, I mean, gone are the days when you had a server out there and you would name a server a certain way. Now it's all ephemeral, it's distributed, it's immutable infrastructure. You don't patch servers, you rehydrate servers. So you tear them, tear servers down, and build servers back up. So in that sort of environment. Almost everything is being done in an automated fashion by bots, services, as you said, and that's where these non-human identities are starting to play such an important role. So safeguarding these non-human identities is going to be crucial in the future. And one of the things that you mentioned, the the topic of this podcast is I am the threat vector. So I am, on one hand, identity is the new parameter. But on the other hand, if your identity systems, access management systems are not safeguarded properly, then it actually becomes a threat vector. And this could deal a fatal blow to an enterprise if your access management systems are not properly safeguarded. It's one of those things physician heal thyself, right? But the identity and access management systems that protect and provide access to the rest of this, the enterprise, they're your Fort Knox and they should be guarded like Fort Knox.
0: And what are some of the struggles that people have when they're working in a cloud environment with PAM or identity and access management systems, and then they have to then integrate other SaaS services to it? What challenges do they run into there?
1: I hey, think there's multiple challenges. The first one is what I mentioned, where you're shifting from more of a human-centric mindset where human, humans go in and click on certain things. You start a server, you fix a server, you patch a server to a non-human automated setup where everything needs to be automated. That switch, because the tooling is just not there. It's The maturity level of the tools is just not there at the moment. The standards, so the other piece of, of all of this is that the standards have not necessarily evolved to that point either where some of this can be r- r- readily automated. So for instance, and in some cases, the standards are there, but the adoption of those standards is not there. So I think that two two things there in some cases, the standards, the identity standards. So saml and OIDC, they've been around for a while, right, but not everybody is has adopted those standards. SCIM, for instance, is another standard. And there's some upcoming standards like CAPE and RISC and OPA. As, and as these standards mature, the uptake of these standards, I think, is crucial. Because instead of doing these point-to-point integrations and siloed integrations, what you need is standards-based integrations. Because the old way of working is cumbersome and it's... Expensive involves a lot of maintenance, and that's that. That's one of the challenges of moving to this cloud and SaaS based environment. Standards and automation and standards, adopting standard, automating access to your cloud environment. So th- those are those two are the ones I would say are the top um, issues in terms of moving to the cloud.
0: I've seen in. The majority of websites that I've signed up to today, many of them have multi-factor authentication or MFA, but it seems to have a variety of different offerings when it comes to that. What are the pros and cons of some of the MFA options and how could they be used against a human?
1: That's a great point. Great question. So having no MFA is significantly better than having MFA, any kind of MFA is significantly better than having no MFA, right? Because MFA is one of those controls that is remarkably effective, unbel- unbelievably effective. here's maybe a side segue, but when humans authenticate each other, right? Like when we are talking, I'm authenticating you, not just, I'm not, I'm not authenticating you once. And then if let's say you move out and someone else comes in, I'm going to know that immediately. And why is that? Because I'm authenticating you continuously. I'm authenticating you using your voice modulation, the way you're speaking, so using different senses. So that by itself is multi-factor authentication, but more importantly, it's continuous multi-factor authentication, right? Our identity systems uh, will evolve to that point eventually when authentication is going to be continuous, but today they are not. So we are using multi-factor authentication and to some extent, it's somewhat primitive. Some of these multi-factor authentication methods, like for instance, the ones that have been exploited quite a bit in the wild, SMS based authentication, push notifications, these lend themselves fairly easily to social, social engineering attacks, phishing. So what, what I would recommend is moving to phishing-resistant MFA. If you're going to use MFA, use phishing-resistant MFA. But the longer-term solution is to do continuous authentication and not binary authentication. Just at the beginning of the session, it, it has to be continuous. So that true zero trust. And many of these breaches, compromises that we see today, typically the bad actor will authenticate at the VPN or somewhere on the periphery. And once they enter the network, they don't have to authenticate again. And that's not the right model, it's binary. So having this assume breach mindset, zero trust mindset, continuous authentication, continuous authorization, those are more close to real life Modeling from an authentication perspective. And that's what I think we will eventually uh, move toward.
0: I know when I worked in the Azure space, they had conditional approvals where even if you MFA'd, if you were coming from an unknown IP, that would be a condition that they would revoke your access for or it, they would limit your access. So y- you might get the email, but you won't get to. Corporate systems,
1: things like that. Yeah. Is that the type of continuous? Absolutely. We're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. So risk-based authentication, getting risk signals. And one of the standards that I'm particularly excited about, CAPE and risk, where um, these types of signals are being shared across different applications. So if you're working with a vendor, I would strongly recommend talking to vendors and encouraging them to adopt these emerging standards. SecuVents is another one. But as applications start exchanging intelligence, they can make informed decisions relative to riskiness. And based on that, access can be orchestrated. So as you were pointing out, if you're coming from a different IP or something has changed, almost like your FICO score, right? If your FICO score changes based on what your FICO score is, you start losing access lines of credit similarly when your risk index changes you should lose start losing or gaining depending on which way it moves access level or maybe you get challenged to step up authentication and those types of things and it has to be on a continuous basis using some of these emerging standards so i think that's exactly where we are going and azure is one of microsoft was one of the earliest proponents of CAPE and they have what you were referring to CAE, conditional or continuous access evaluation is a product that Microsoft rolled out, I think a year or so ago. And that's, so that's exactly the kind of authentication, continuous access is what I was referring to. And as we think about application to
0: application communication or non-human communications, a lot of them are going towards an API based communication path, how do we ensure that the attack vector through an API is properly vetted so that a machine that comes in or a threat actor that comes in looking like a machine only has access to what they had access to
1: or should have access to? Yep there are there's multiple ways of accomplishing this so least privilege is absolutely one way of making sure that even if even if there were a compromise the damage the blast radius is limited very limited from an api security perspective one of the enduring paradigms out there for api security is the use of proxies or some type of a control point where you can enforce policies and these policies can be dynamic Right. So policy-based access at these choke points, proxies is one one way of doing it. And one of the one of the avenues for and I would say a very common avenue for exploiting APIs is by leakage of secrets. Extremely common to find secret API tokens leaked in a public GitHub repository, for instance. So those are the kind of things that companies need to guard again so searching for API tokens and most of the cloud service providers are have gotten really smart for instance google if they detect secret out there they can dcp secret to be precise they'll update you within 15 minutes and you'll get an event saying that some one of your secrets is out there and they'll even tell you what to do or you can catch that event and take action on it basically disable the service account Delete the secret. So that's from a public facing perspective, but even within an organization, just searching for secrets, making sure that all your secrets are vaulted, stored safely, and then use things like role-based access or in Azure, they're called service managed identities or Google managed service accounts in the Google world. There's different ways of making sure that an entity is authorized to access a secret. So you store the secrets away in a vault somewhere and then use these native constructs in order to access the secret. So that is probably the best way to secure these, these APIs. Uh, Would you roll the secrets at a
0: consistent or irregular point, like the old nest standard to change your password every 90 days, or do you believe that we've gotten sufficiently. Able to detect when these secrets leak to where we might not need to roll them <laughs> on. That's
1: just a great, it's an interesting question and it's a trick question, I think. And I say that because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't thing. So if your detection mechanisms are sophisticated enough, you don't have to rotate your secrets very often. Even if somebody tries to brute force you, you're going to detect it and it's going to take them, depending on the length of the secret, it's going to take them a sufficiently long time. Typically, the API tokens are fairly long. So it's going to take them a significant amount of time to actually brute force their way through. And you're going to, once they try, bad actors try, you're going to detect it, right? But it's probably not a bad idea, given that detection mechanisms are still not where they should be not a bad idea to rotate a secret periodically and you can pick depending on the length of the secret you can pick an appropriate period for uh, for rotating the secret but ideally you wouldn't have to rotate a secret because if it's long enough and you know it's not leaked then why rotate it so hopefully our detection me- mechanisms get mature enough that we don't have to rotate these 180 128 bits or 256 bit secrets
0: and when you think of privilege access management and insider threats, w- would you recommend a role that those privileged secrets and access to those vaults would change of important individuals in that organization that might have access
1: to them? Well, yeah, absolutely. And if you have a shared secret, which is not a great practice having shared secrets is not a somewhat of an anti-pattern, but having said that there are some specifically break glass glass accounts, which do have shared secrets. So when people who have knowledge of the secret leave and That's why it's probably not a bad idea to rotate these secrets, especially when somebody leaves or at a certain periodicity or after every use, those are the common mechanisms to rotate these secrets. So absolutely, I I would recommend rotating secrets when anybody who has knowledge of the secret leaves the org. So for our
0: audience, a, a brick glass account is an emergency account that has an escalated level of privilege. That you can use in case of an emergency. So sometimes they might have super admin rights or full access to a certain environment, depending on how you're created. So, for those that don't know what a break glass account is or haven't been in an environment with it, that's what they're for.
1: Yeah, sometimes they're also referred to as fire call accounts. I'm not those with the break glass. Uh, metaphor. So they're also referred to as fire call accounts. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had to share three IAM
0: secrets or tips of advice for those that are managing identity and
1: access management, what would those be? Well, oh, <laughs> down to three. I would say implement SSO, single sign-on. So centralize authentication, because if you don't centralize authentication, it's going to be awfully tough to implement any type of secrets policy. So I would say that would be one of the first things to focus on. For those who are whose identity and access management programs are relatively nascent, I would say start there, centralize your authentication. I would recommend rolling out passwordless. So maybe that's a second tip, but part of that, it goes with that. Secondly, I would say. Multi-factor authentication, more specifically, phishing resistant MFA. As I was saying, the MFA control is one of the most effective controls, the most in terms of getting your bang for your buck. I think it's one of the most effective controls out there and roundly points to those who um, implement phishing resistant MFA. So that's, that would be the other tip. And then I would say privileged access management. Privileged access management is a force multiplier for hacking breaches. So it's really important to make sure that you have spam and secret, good secret management hygiene. So that's something that I would absolutely say is important. My first and second thing, tips are, were similar. They were in the authentication space. I would add another one. I would also add centralizing access provisioning. So if you are Access administration is centralized, your access management is centralized, and you have privileged access management that gives you a really good view into your identity and access management environment. So those would be my top three. If you are an advanced IAM program, I would recommend something like data analytic application of data science to identity and access management. So those things that we talked about in terms of detecting risky events and applying them at runtime, orchestrating identity and access management and not just from a risk perspective but if you apply data science in some cases you can even predict if somebody should have access before they ask for access so instead of doing access certifications you detect when people are not using certain entitlements and you take them away and on the other hand if you think that somebody is going to use certain entitlements you give it to them which is the magic of predictive analytics so if you are an advanced iam program i would even i would say that look at application of data science to identity and access management. So that would be my bonus fourth step. So first one was around authentication. Second one was around privileged access management. And third one was around centralizing access provisioning. And then bonus trip, bonus pointer was application of data science to identity and access management. Wow. Thank you so much for
0: sharing your knowledge with us today. And for those of you listening, feel free to leave reviews wherever you're listening. If it's on LinkedIn, YouTube, or on the podcast of your choice, we look at those reviews all the time and use that to get great speakers like Tariq on today talking about things that we're concerned about.
1: Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you very much, Chris, for having me here. And I should have mentioned this, any of the opinions that I expressed here, they are my own opinions and they're not the opinions of my previous or current employer. So once again, thank you very much and have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you all. Take care.